Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Can't get to a phone. You can also chime in via Twitter. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We'll get to your phone calls. We'll get to your tweets along the way as we have the equivalency of a Thursday in Giants football land, given the fact that they are playing on Monday. I almost have to pause for a second, Paul, and remember what day it is because well, everything is so out of whack when you play on a Monday night. You know how I do it? I steal the phrases that you guys use over on Sirius NFL Radio. For those of you who don't know, Lance does a lot of that stuff. I should hire you as my agent. There you Look go. At this. Who are we going to get free promotion on but, this But, you know, yes. I, I do listen to our teammate Bob Papa on the morning drive. Indeed. Very, very often. And what he likes to always say is it's a football day. So it's a football Monday. It's a football <laughs> Tuesday. It's a football Wednesday. So what I like to do is I tell people today is a regular Friday or a calendar Friday, but it's really a football Thursday. And that is certainly a good way <laughs> to put things in perspective. I don't know necessarily if that – Prevents the confusion, but we will try to move along here and set the stage for Monday Night Football Giants and the Niners. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the course of the season. So both coordinators spoke today, all three I should say, as well as head coach Pat Shermer. And the biggest theme here entering the second half of the season, Paul, and I know it's sort of stating the obvious because the fans know about it. We've talked about it at nauseum, but the ability for the Giants to put more points on the board. Right. And you look at the red zone numbers, you look at the third down numbers, you look at the points per game. I mean, everything goes hand in hand. Those are the areas that have to dramatically improve. Forget wins and losses. I'm talking about if the Giants want to have an opportunity to finish a game strongly and show that it's not just a flash like we saw in the Panthers game in the first half of the season, Paul, but it's also something that they're more than capable of building upon each and every week. Right. Well, let's look at it this way. The Giants for the third consecutive season, and I know we're only halfway through 2018, uh, 19 actually, Yes, 18. See, and you're telling me I'm confusing Thursday and Friday. See, you did this to me already. I know. I'm very um, good at that, by the way. Two, <laughs> for the last two and a half seasons, the Giants have averaged under 20 points a game on offense. And quite frankly, as you may remember, and this goes back to the Parcells days of the 80s, and you know I love to refer to those days, Bill always used to say, look, if you can hold a team to 16 or 17 points a game, you're probably going to win most of your games. I mean, that was always the goal of the championship-era teams was to hold folks to 13 a game. Not 13, 16 a game. That was the number they always shot for, 16 a game. If you can hold them 16 or under, boy, you know you're going to be in contention at the end of the season. You know, for something big, not just make the playoffs. You're probably going to go far if you can hold them to 16 or under. Then as offenses became more and more prevalent because the rules changes favored the offense, then that number kind of got morphed a little bit. And now the goal was you want to hold teams under 20 points a game. Okay, makes sense. But see, if you're the Giants and you're not even averaging 20 points a game on offense, you understand where the math is going to put you below sea level. Yeah. Well, because if you look from a defensive standpoint to your point, Paul, the Giants on defense are allowing... Well, it's a little bit higher than it was at one point. Right now, it's at 26 points per game, 22nd in the NFL. But there was a point earlier in the season where you know, the Giants were allowing a respectable amount of points or enough to say, hey, we're doing enough to win the game or doing enough to keep our offense in a position to help close it out. Well, at one point, it was under 20 a yeah. game. 
and then over the last several weeks, it's, it's climbed up. It's because... Eagles game in the 30s. Yes, and quite honestly, they've also given up uh, some late late Big touchdowns. Touchdown, the runs. Which, you know, put the game two scores up late in the fourth quarter when the defense was, was gassed. And they just could not hold the fort anymore. That tug of war was just eating at their hands. And finally, they got bloody and, and they let go. That's going to happen. Um, I still believe that those situations, although defensive failures at the end, were because the defense was put in impossible situations by the offense to where they just couldn't hold the fort any longer. Turnovers certainly affect your defense and the offense at times, costly turnovers. I would even throw special teams, Paul, into the conversation, whether it be turnovers or it just be the lack of taking advantage of good field position, then all of a sudden your defense has to get back on the field and the opposing offense has really good spots on the field to take advantage. So, you know, all of that goes hand in hand and those are some things that the Giants need to focus on. Now, you say, okay, well, those are the areas that the Giants need to improve. Well, what are they going to do to help show progress? One area could very well be another tweak on the offensive line. And Pat Shermer didn't make any official announcement, Paul, and I'm curious your perspective, but if you listen to what he has said since Jamon Brown has joined this team, it seems as if they're going to do everything in their power to get him into the lineup mm -hmm. Monday night. It certainly sounds that way. And this is a guy who, if you know anything about him, when he was drafted in the third round out of Louisville, he's now in his uh, fourth NFL season. Uh, the Rams were the, were the, the original uh, team to pick him up, obviously. He, he started all 16 games at right guard for them last year. Uh, he originally came into the league as a tackle, okay? He goes about 6'4 and a half, 340 pounds. He is a very large man, folks. Th those numbers are not deceiving, <laughs> okay? They're not. Again, I've said this from the very get-go. He's very Fluker-like, DJ Fluker-like. That's a good comparison. I brought that up yesterday, too. His yeah. frame, his size. He also happens to be a better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. So he is much along the lines of a DJ Fluker. Much healthier, I might add, which is a good thing. Again, started all 16 games last year at right guard. But he did play both left tackle and right tackle in college at Louisville. And then when he got to the Rams... They converted him inside and made him a guard. I think he's going to be the starting right guard for the Giants this week in San Francisco. Do I know that 100%? No, I do not. Because you could certainly make an argument for the possible strategy of, are they better off giving him some snaps at tackle and having Wheeler take a seat on the bench than putting Brown in at right guard and putting Greco on the bench. You could make an argument that they might be better off giving Brown a shot at right tackle because Wheeler has been overmatched. Uh, he tries hard, and we've all talked about his gamesmanship and his willingness and eagerness to try to get the job done. But he doesn't have the experience that Greco has who, by the way, has played a lot of games at guard in this league. And I know there have been times he's been overmatched as well the last couple of weeks. But maybe, just maybe, because tackles are always at a premium, maybe the Giants decide to try Jimon Brown at tackle. Because you know what? Let's just say, for argument's sake, he proves he can play right tackle at this level. The Browns, again, used him at guard. But let's say... That because he was a college the Rams, right tackle. Mean, right. The Rams, oh, the Rams. The Rams. Yeah. I'm sorry. 
is he not even more valuable to the Giants if he proves he can play right tackle instead of right guard? 100%. Well, and even if you keep him at guard, I mean, the fact that he has experience at both positions, Paul, you know it's a premium in this league to have versatile offensive yeah. linemen who you can move around in a pinch. And may I add one other thing? Coach Shermer today was asked a question by one of the writers who I don't even think has come up with this concept. He simply said, putting him in there and trying to rush him into the lineup, isn't it a chemistry thing because he's got guys on his right and his left that he's got to communicate with and work with? It's not just about plugging him in. And Shermer said, Coach Shermer said, you're right. It's not like a wide receiver. We could just tell the receiver, go run a route. He's just got to figure out the route. And he's not responsible to anybody else on the team. Okay. But an offensive lineman, especially an interior lineman, is responsible to the guys on both of his shoulders. And he has to work in conjunction with them or it doesn't happen. Okay? Mistakes get made and plays blow up. So, there is a part of me, there is a part of me that says, well, if you get him in there this week and you put him at right tackle... He's only got to worry about the left guard on his shoulder. As opposed to two guys. Because, yeah, because there won't be anybody on his right shoulder unless they go strong side tight end, which they're fully capable of going H-back or even putting the tight end on the other side. So I'm just saying, Lance, maybe that's also a way to get him in the lineup quicker. No, I think that's a very interesting little tidbit that and you again, threw out there. I'm not giving you anything that's for sure. This is just... The process of logic, as you, if you understand the game, you know some of the mechanisms that they could use to get him on the field and how they might actually enhance his value. Well, he's played every single position but center in his career, as you mentioned. He's got experience at both guards. He's got experience at both tackles. So, you know, that certainly is an added bonus, not just for this season, but for moving forward if the Giants decide to keep him as a key ingredient and part of the offensive line. I'm wondering if the Giants are also toying with the idea, Paul, speaking of right tackle. Now, Brian Mahalik came in when Wheeler got hurt in the last game, and Mahalik did pick up a pair of false start penalties. That aside, though, do they want to perhaps see a few more reps and looks at him at right tackle with perhaps Brown at right guard and once again revamp the right side of the offensive line. That, I think, is also a potential option. Well, that could be really dangerous because you might have two guys on the same side who may not understand what they're doing. That's fair. Well, there's certainly risk involved in that. A lot of risk. And, and I knew that when I stated that. I'm just saying at this point, you're just trying to experiment and toy with the idea of getting some sense of stability on the offensive line, specifically on the right side, because there's been so much movement. Does it really hurt at this point if you once again went back to the well and tried to see if there's a different combination that works and executes? Yeah, the, the only thing that we do know is that uh, it has been already explained to us by Coach Schirmer that Spencer Pulley will be the starting setter. Yeah, he made that clear at his press conference a day ago when so, he was asked because he said if you move Brown into the lineup— does that mean Greco goes back to center, or does Pulley come out of the lineup? And he made it clear we would likely stick with Pulley at center. Right. So so that much is for sure. Pulley will be the center, Hernandez at left guard, and, of course, Solder at left tackle. So uh, whatever changes they do decide to make in San Francisco on Monday will be on the right side. And, again, look, you're absolutely right. That possibility that you just floated out there certainly exists. I don't know that it's a very appetizing one, but— 
I appreciate the thought process because let's face it, right now the Giants are still in a in a figuring out mode. Uh, as Dave Gettleman has made very clear, you know, from the very get-go, that they're looking for the best players they can get their hands on. And he's not afraid to make moves. He's going to be very assertive and trying to get guys in here who can do the job. And quite frankly, as he has said thousands of times, this is uh, you got to put on your big boy pants. Oh, yeah. That's the kind of league this is. And you know what? If you can't do it, we'll find somebody else who will. And they're also not turning to the belt buckle or the suspenders to help keep on those big boy pants. No. To take your parallel to another step. No. You've got to be able to hold your own and make sure the pants stay steady. As if we didn't give you enough food analogies, now we're giving you clothing analogies here on Big Blue Kickoff Live as we move forward here on Friday's program. Sticking to the subject of the Giants' offensive line and what they're going to have to contend with on Monday, if you look at this team on paper, I think it's very easy to say, oh, this is an extremely winnable game for the Giants, Paul. San Francisco, a team that does have two wins but also still struggling, lost multiple players. They're down to their third-string quarterback. Nick Mullins is making his second career start. You look at this on paper, you say, hey, no, I mean, this is a realistic shot for the Giants to build some momentum, come off the bye, and perhaps claim their second victory. The one thing I will say is, and the offensive line is going to continue to be a big focus, this is a Niners front seven that I would not sleep on. It's a group that has a number of top prospects over the last few years, and it's a group that also has a knack for getting after the quarterback. And while a bulk of their sacks, Paul, came last Thursday night when they played the Raiders, and you could say the Raiders have their own issues. Derek Carr was sacked seven times. A.J. McCarron came in late. He was sacked one time. Mm -hmm. I think it's relevant because... Now the Niners, for the second straight week, are going up against a team that has concerns about pass protection and doesn't have the most mobile quarterback. So if you're the Giants, this is not a defensive front to say, oh, they only got two wins, we'll be able to get by. I don't know if you're the Giants, you can say that any week. Well, I'm with you, but I'm saying just even from the fan and the media narrative perspective, okay, well, the last few weeks they've gone up against teams yeah. that are like the Eagles— are like the Falcons, no, this, high octane offense. This, this team and has so a forth. front seven now. Yeah. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, their big problem, quite honestly, has been on the other side in that they've given up 31 sacks. Funny part about it is last week against the Raiders when they played that Thursday night game and, and Nick Mullins uh, made his NFL debut. Some debut. Three touchdown passes, no interceptions. And by the way, he was not sacked once. Now, how do you figure that? They gave up 31 sacks going into that game. They're tied for third most in the NFL with the Giants. Yeah. 31 sacks, and they don't give up a sack with the new kid coming in to play quarterback. How do you figure that? And by the way, their starting center, who Giants fans know, and Weston Richburg mm -hmm. is dealing with a lingering knee injury, so yes. he's not even 100%. And you add that on, and to not give up any sacks. Now, the simple answer, Paul, would be the Raiders, as you well know, have absolutely no pass rush. Yes. Do they even have any players left? I mean, no. they, they let go of guys by the hour at mm -hmm. this point. And, of course, uh, let's not kid ourselves, Kyle Shanahan out there in San Francisco did everything he could to protect the kid. Yeah. They did roll the pocket. They did try to get rid of the ball quick. Which you should. And I, and I understand that. And we've often talked on this program, or at least I have, and any offensive coordinator worth his grain of salt, if he really wants to and goes full max protect and as much quick release as possible, you can pretty much guarantee that the other team won't get a sack. 
You really can if you want to. You got to give up a ton in your playbook. But they scored over 30 points against the Raiders. I think they were fine sacrificing. Yeah. <laughs> so what does that tell you? That's why I said it's a team that is very interesting, I think is a good way to describe the San Francisco 49ers because they've dealt with adversity like the Giants. They've had some injuries, but guys have stepped up off the depth chart, and a lot of these young guys are having an opportunity to flourish. Now, we haven't received the final injury report for the Niners because they're on the West Coast, so they're obviously behind us in terms of the practice schedule, but one player in particular, well, I should say two, Ruben Foster's been on the injury report, Paul, and he's one of their top linebackers who started the season off with a suspension, but since he's come back, he's been certainly solid for them. And then one of their starting safeties who actually didn't even play against Oakland, Jaquiski Tart, is still dealing with a shoulder injury. So there's a chance they may be missing some guys on the back end of their defense, but you know, as we talk about each and every week, hey, that's fine. The Giants have gone up against attractive matchups in the secondary, Paul, but if they can't pass protect and they don't give Eli Manning an opportunity to survey the field, it really doesn't matter what you want to sell me on the fact that the Niners have some issues in the secondary. Well, we have discussed this many a times during the course of this season that, uh, oh my goodness, the other team can't defend the long ball. The other team can't defend this. They can't defend that. Big play after big play. Oh, but by the way, they can get to the quarterback. (laughs) And that makes up for it. <laughs> and, and doesn't that go back to what Dave Gettleman said from the very get-go? We want to run the ball, we want to stop the run, and we want to get to the passer. I mean, those are the three fundamental things you have to do in the National Football League if you are going to consistently have an opportunity to condense for the postseason. It's really that simple. It starts there. I mean, yes. And it ends there. And, and, and it's funny because in that regard, it's a very simple game. Now, when you get into the details of the roster and the scheme and how injuries affect things and salary caps affect things, well, now it becomes that spider web that I always talk about where every strand is attached to many other strands and there are many sides to the prism and nothing can be examined in a bubble. So the game of football is just so unique in that it is the most complex game on many fronts, but also the simplest game in the one generic statement of run it, stop the run, get to the quarterback. Three very easy things. It's like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, that's how you survive. Well, and the perfect example to spell out exactly what you laid out, Paul, and I don't know how many of our viewers watched last night's game. I don't know if you saw much of it. There wasn't really much to see in the second half, so I wouldn't blame you, but Pittsburgh blew out Carolina 52-21, to and what did Pittsburgh do effectively? Well, to your point, got after the quarterback. Cam was sacked five times. They ran the football with James Conner, mm-hmm. who once again shows his versatility in place of Le'Veon Bell. And then lastly, they protected Ben Roethlisberger and gave him an opportunity to produce some of those explosive plays. So, like you said, it's not convoluted. It's not complex. If you start in the trenches, then the rest of the team's execution is going to feed off of that. Always. And you're going to have an opportunity to put up 45 to 50 points, which the Steelers did. They were also aggressive with their front seven, and not only did they get after camp, but they forced turnovers. They took away the football, and that changed field position. And this goes back to Pat Shermer's statement. Uh, I believe it was the final week of training camp when he I know said exactly we will what you're go get as to. far as our offensive Bingo. line will take us. And he was 100% even, right. And that's even a more simplistic view yeah. than what Gettleman put forth. But he's also right because everything that happens with your offense, which in turn affects your defense, 
starts with the trenches and the offensive line. And oh, by the way, if Jamon Brown does make it into the starting lineup, anywhere into those five positions in San Francisco, the Giants will have used their fourth starting offensive line combination in nine games. Well, and if you take that back to last season, Paul, you probably are going to get even higher combinations. Because remember last season. I didn't last want to was break a uh, my chairs. calculator figuring I that one out. But I simply went for the nine weeks. Four just this nine season. games. Yeah, which is a very high number. It's ridiculous. Compared to some of the other teams. And it's no coincidence. Teams that have stability on the offensive line are the teams that right now are in contention to make some noise, to win their division title, or get to the playoffs. Oh, by the way, the Redskins now have three offensive linemen hurt. Let's see if they can hold on to the division lead. I doubt it. You took the words right out of my mouth because I was going to say on the flip side, then if you all of a sudden get struck with the injury bug at the worst possible time, which is what happened with Washington, they lose Brandon Sheriff, Pro Bowl guard. They lose Sean Laval, a veteran guard who's been a part of the team for many years. Trent Williams is out with a finger injury. He's their left tackle. Yeah, now all of a sudden, Chase Roulier, who is a young center who was drafted only about two years back, is now the most experienced offensive lineman. Now, the one thing I will give the Redskins credit for is they dealt with a lot of injuries last season, and to Bill Callahan's credit, who I think is one of the best offensive line Mm -hmm. coaches in the NFL, Paul, did a magnificent job piecemealing guys together and making it work. So I would not overlook the ability of Bill Callahan to put things together. That doesn't mean that they're all of a sudden going to be running the football with Adrian Peterson like they were, but I think he's going to find a way to get a serviceable unit out there. But I agree with you. You have to expect there to be some drop-off in terms of at least their ability to run the football consistently. I mean, even with some of the injuries the Eagles had earlier, I think right now they've got to be pretty optimistic that they could steal this division away from Washington. I'm with you. 4-4 Four and four coming off the bye, Philadelphia, going up against Dallas on Sunday Night Football this weekend, knowing that not only are they coming off the bye and they're well-rested, they're getting guys back to full mm-hmm. health. Carson Wentz now is further removed from yes, the torn ACL. Absolutely. Alshon Jeffrey is back. Golden Tate was mm-hmm. just acquired. This is the ideal time for the Eagles to really go on a run and start clicking. Washington's hurting. The Cowboys and the Giants are much further back. I'm with you. If, if you were to ask me second half of the season who should be the front runner to win the division, I think it's the Eagles' hand down. Yeah. I don't I, think I, it's close at this point. I think right now they have to feel pretty good about where they stand in this horse race because as they're coming around that back stretch and, and they're ready to make that move, uh, the Redskins don't look like they're going to have the stamina to hold on. And the last point I wanted to bring up before we open up the phone lines and appreciate those of you for holding on, 201-939-4513. If you just look across the NFL landscape right now, Paul, Because we always have these debates about, well, you know, mobile quarterbacks will help overcome questionable offensive lines. Well, let's just quickly look at the AFC landscape. Pittsburgh, I just went over. You can make the argument Pittsburgh may have the best offensive line in football right now, given the fact that Dallas has fallen off and Washington, who I think would have been in the conversation too, has now been banked up with injuries. How about Kansas City? Kansas City, to me, has a solid offensive line. You got a lot of veterans. It's no coincidence they're up there in terms of taking care of business. Then you go over to the NFC. New Orleans, another veteran offensive line. Guys like Max Unger and Teron Armstead. I mean, these are guys who have been around the block, not guys that have brought off off the street. The Rams, solid offensive line. Andrew Whitworth, who was a name that many Giants fans wanted the team to go after. And 
these teams across the board are in contention to win their divisions or battle for a wild card. So it goes hand in hand. Why? Because that means you're running the football effectively and you're protecting your quarterback. With that being said, let's open up the phone lines. You've heard enough from us. Let's hear from you. 201-939-4513. Getting you set for Monday Night Football. Giants, Niners coming your way. Week 10 coming off the bye as the Giants are 1-7. Niners, not far back. They've got two wins. And believe it or not, by the way, they're going to meet exactly a year apart in San Francisco. The Giants and the Niners met last year, <laughs> week 10. This is wild. I've never seen I this. I don't know. And you've been around a lot longer than I have. And I can't remember a situation even through storybook time you from you I seem, being brought up. I this actually way. seem to remember this happening a few times over my 36 years. But, I mean, does it really mean anything? No, it, it doesn't mean anything. I just find it interesting. It is wild. It, it's wild. But, but here's what also makes it wild, Paul. Last year, they go to San Francisco. They were also 1-7, the Giants, and they go up against a team with a quarterback that was making his fourth career start. That was C.J. Beathard, and we all know what C.J. Beathard managed to do. Okay, now you move the calendar forward exactly one year. Giants are 1-7 again, going to San Francisco. Now you're going up against another inexperienced quarterback. Nick Mullins making his second career start. So a lot of funky comparisons between both of these matchups. Okay, I teased you. Now we're going to go back to the phone lines. Nate is in upstate New York. Nate, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening? Oh, hi, Lance and Paul. Um, Hello. I was, just, I was just calling because the sign of Brown, I, I, while I like it, and I think it's going to help us this year, this doesn't help us in the future. And I don't know why people keep talking as if it's going to. The guy's not under contract past the season. Well, we made that clear, but you're at least, you're experimenting though, Nate, and you're evaluating, just like you're evaluating guys that are currently on the roster who are also set to be free agents to determine whether or not it's even worth pursuing re-signing the guy. You got to find that out. I understand that, and and, uh, yes, I I kind of understand it, except uh, I wouldn't want to play him at Tackle because I wouldn't want to drive up his value. uh, Honestly, I would play him at guard, uh, and I would that would make sure that, that he is a good guard and keep him at guard. But you put him at tackle, and then he's going to have to he's going to require pass, uh, backup tackle money at least, which is still as much as a starting guard. And so I, I wouldn't want to do that, uh, to be quite honest with you. And to be honest with you, um, my draft strategy would be to uh, try not to improve the team any more than I have to. I would keep Eli upright, and that's about it. Um, keep the draft. Uh, you know, we've already suffered this much. We might as well just keep suffering along. And then uh, Nick Bosa in the first round, and then uh, draft offensive lineman for the rest of the draft. Well, I don't know if they're going to draft offensive linemen for the rest of the draft. I wouldn't be surprised if they go into the draft thinking that they need to get a few offensive linemen. I don't think that's crazy. I just I understand your point, and you're playing out the argument of the season is lost mathematically. Just play it out, get the ideal draft pick. First of all, it's about what you do with what, where you pick, not where exactly you pick. I mean, that's important to note because there's teams, and all you have to do is go through one first-round bust after another where teams had excellent first-round opportunities, 
Nate, and then they did not take advantage of it because of the player they selected. So I wouldn't get so caught up in terms of the Giants need to continue losing. Well, I'm not disagreeing with you. You could certainly bring up Giants-relevant players to that who did not necessarily reach their full potential. But I'm just talking about the NFL in general. I'm not just focusing on the Giants, Nate. You go across the NFL landscape. There's a lot of first-rounders that did not pan out. So when people get caught up in, oh, the Giants should continue to lose so they get a favorable pick, it's about who you pick, not where you pick. That's what it comes down to. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. And I, it was, I was half joking. I, I know, was, I know I you were. Really I'm just bringing to, it in as a relevant point. Yeah. I, just, I just wouldn't look to upgrade the, the team at this point other than to keep Eli alive. Uh, uh, because I don't believe Eli is the problem. I, uh, you know, it is ridiculous what, that to even try to blame Eli when you look at what has happened to this, uh, you know, this oh. offensive line of ours. Uh, even with the, the 100% changeover, it's still the worst offensive line in the league. And, and uh, it's not fair to Eli what is happening to him and, and the, the tarnish that is put on his career because of management's inability to draft uh, linemen. And, and to, to be quite honest with you, to draft period for the last 10 years, it has been um, quite disappointing. Uh, but... Uh, I do see where they're going, and I see the 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 the, the scheme seems to be doing all right. There are a couple things I I, I scratch my head about, but I'm not the GM, and I, I don't want to make those. You know, I'm not the one being paid to make those decisions. But uh, I myself, like I said, you have a quantity coming out in Nick Bosa, and while I. I'm not saying tank. I'm just saying you don't. You there, there's not a better player coming out in the draft than Nick Bosa. Uh, I, yeah, he's not his brother, but if you look at Nick Bosa, he is the exact same size and and and, and power, but he is actually a more polished player than his brother was coming out of the draft when when he came out. And, and so and you saw what what he did coming out. Uh, Missing the first four games of the draft of the season, and so I, I look at Nick Bosa and and I think to myself, there's a guaranteed pass rush which we haven't had in the last four years. All right, uh, let's break this into three parts. First of all, Bosa is presumed to be one of the top three players in the draft, at least how, how I've heard things at this point in the uh, in the draft process. I'm really not prepared to start talking as much about that until we get a heck of a lot closer to it, certainly till we get to the bowl games, and then we also know where the Giants will pick. Because quite honestly, I do think they're going to win a bunch of games in the second half of the season, and I don't think they're going to be picking in the top three. I really don't. So that may make Bosa actually irrelevant to the conversation. That's number one. Number two, I'm with you on Eli Manning. You guys, if you've listened to the show before, you know how I feel about it. Eli has been victimized here more than anything else. Number three, and here's where I strongly disagree with you. If the Giants have the ability to acquire somebody at low cost or no cost with very minimal risk, whether it's a guy on waivers like Jamon Brown, what you do is you get the guy in here and you get him into your building. You get him into your system. You watch him work. You watch him practice. You watch him play. That's the best audition he can have because you will find out much more about him that way than you will ever find out looking at tape that's from somebody else's team. 
It's always better to have a firsthand experience with a guy. This is the time, these next two months, these are the times where the Giants need to find out as much as they possibly can about any potential acquisition that they're thinking of. Now, of course, it's minimal guys. I mean, you're not going to have a lot yeah, the of opportunities guys. are not there. They're not there. The crumbs are coming in. Yeah. But, but for example, Henderson, the kick returner. Now, he came in, gave the fourth kick returner they've had this year. I thought he was the best one they had. I'm with you. Now, they had a mm-hmm. roster move to make. They put McIntosh up because they got to find out about him. They, they waved Henderson off the roster, but then got him onto the practice squad because they still want him around. Again, this is a guy who could be part of the solution in the future. So you want them in the building. So I would disagree with you strongly about not trying to upgrade if you can because there is long-term benefit to that plan. Well, no, Paul, I'm not saying don't upgrade if you can. I'm just saying don't try to win more games. Uh, that, oh, but I, I'm, I'm just saying I mean, you don't try. You're not going. You're not trying to. It, 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 and to be honest with you, you're not going to find uh, uh, anybody out there right now who's going to be cut from another team who's going to significantly upgrade your team. Well, then that's that's more of a reason, Nate, to our point that why should you then be overly concerned if these guys get opportunities and reps? The whole point is to then see, do you find the gem out there who's worthy of perhaps being brought back the following season? This is when you do that evaluation. And I'll let you continue. It seems as if your philosophy, Nate, to me is equivalent to when you criticize an offense for scoring too soon and leaving too much time on the clock. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to toy around, mess around, and then decide to get into the end zone? You take advantage of your opportunities when your opportunities arise. It's the same thing in free agency and the waiver wire. You grab the guy no, because no, no, you're no. thinking, I've faith and, in him. And, and, you guys me, I don't think you guys are quite understanding what I mean. Uh, and the Giants are kind of doing what I'm talking about by not bringing in Bruce Irving, say. Okay? Uh, Bruce Irving was a piece that we could have brought in and would have significantly upgraded our team. But why would you do that? Because it doesn't help you in the future. Okay? And that was all I was saying. And, and the Giants are doing kind of what I'm saying. And I was just kind of reinforcing that point, was that, is that yes, you want to bring in Jamon Brown because he's going to help keep uh, Eli upright and keep his, uh, the future of our team uh, uh, alive. I mean, Eli's not the, the long-term future of our team, but for the next year or two, Eli is the guy. Well, and that's just how it is. Well, no, and, I, I, and I get. Thanks, thanks so for the call. Yeah, we, we appreciate it. Like that, you don't want to bring in high dollar contracts. Is all I know. No, and, and I understand where you're going with that, Nate, and, and appreciate the phone call. And I'm glad he brought up the contract point because I was going to say Bruce Irvin, Paul, and Jamon Brown are not good examples because Irvin signed the contract going back to 2016. So he's still on that four-year, I just looked it up, it was about a $40 million deal. Yeah. Whereas Brown difference. is a completely different opposite end of the spectrum in terms of his contract. So, yeah, they weren't saying that they want to look to bring in more guys that are going to eat up cap space, but there's no problem with looking at a guy who may have some upside and potential. And to the caller's point, and Nate did bring this up, Paul, if you don't want to put him at tackle because you're worried that now you're going to bring up his value and he's going to make more money and have opportunities at free agency, then when are you supposed to determine whether or not he's actually an option at right tackle for you? You that's, tell me. That's the problem. When are you supposed to find that out? You know, they've got Corey Coleman, who's a first-round draft pick, sitting on the bench right now, and they're trying to coach him up to get him ready to play in some games. 
We already saw them uh, bring Fowler into into the uh, into the fold, and he's actually gotten some reps. He even had a pass thrown to him the other day. So this is what we're talking about. These are guys who they're taking a shot. It's low cost or no cost, really, to bring them in, see what they've got, and hopefully they're better and an upgrade over what you have to the point where you think moving forward they could be part of the answer. Maybe Coleman and Fowler are on this team next year as part of the receiving core. Maybe they're not. The point is you're giving them an opportunity to show their wares and you're finding out firsthand if they're worth moving forward with. That's all we're talking about. And and you know what? There's still two months left in the season, and it wouldn't shock me if the revolving door continues. Again, lesser-known guys, yeah. fringe guys, but if they're better than one of the 53 who are in the locker room now, the Giants will not hesitate. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks so much for tuning in to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, even though it is technically Thursday in Giants land. Let's head back to the Lions. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. Len, what's happening? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing all right, Len. What do you got for us? Great. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, coming off a of bye week, uh, eight games left, second half of the season. Um... I think you, from what I hear you folks saying, I, I think you feel like the Giants can win some games here. Sure. And uh, I, I agree with that. I, I, I think we can. Uh, you know, I pretty much agree with everything you've been saying so far this morning. I, um, All right, Len, it was good talking I, I with you. We'll want, speak to you next week. You know, I, I kind of want some, some things to settle down a little bit. Um, I, I, know that, I, I know the idea is, is a good one, Paul, that, if there's somebody out there who you think is marginally better, let's get him in here and see what he can do and so forth. But, I mean, we're not talking about, um, you, you know, guys who are going to take us to the playoffs at this point. I mean, we're talking about filling out, you know, we're talking about filling out rosters and things like that. So I, I would like, I, you know, let's take these 53 guys. Um, let's go forward. Let's see what we can do. Show some faith in these guys. Uh, you know, build a team approach. We're in this together. Um, you know, I'm mildly disappointed, and maybe mildly is is even too strong a word here. Um, I, I I wish Coach should come out and say, had said, um, you know, he said Eli's the quarterback on Monday. Um, yeah, I don't want to read between the lines of what he means by that and so forth. I don't and I don't want to get into it too much, but I just wish he'd say. You know, we thought Eli could do it. We still think Eli could do it. Eli's the quarterback for the rest of the year. You know, and then end all the suspicion and all the second guessing and when are we going to get Loletta in there and, you know, know, looking at every pass that, you know, that the guy throws and, you know, he threw behind him, he overthrew him. I mean, it's getting to the point of ridiculous. Just let's tell this team Eli's taking us through the next eight games. Len, there, there are two problems with that. The first one is, honestly, now I don't think this is going to happen. You know how I feel about Eli. But let's just say Eli goes out to San Francisco, throws five picks, 120 yards. He's like eight for 25. I mean, he just absolutely plays the worst game of his life. Okay? Yeah. Now, now if, so let's say that happens. And then he follows yeah. it up. Let's say he stays in the lineup and does the same thing against Tampa. Let's just say that for some strange okay. reason – Eli totally falls on his face. Well, then they'd be doing a disservice 
to whoever the backup is going to be, whether it's Tanny or Loletta, especially Loletta, given the fact that he's a rookie and there are those who want to see him get in there, they would be doing a disservice if they did not put one of those other guys in, specifically Loletta. So I think when Shermer says what he says, his intention is all things being equal, Eli being healthy, and by the way, I've been saying this now for two months. You know me. I've been on this program forever. All things being equal, Eli stays healthy. Eli continues to make all the throws and performs at a reasonable level. He will probably start the whole rest of the season. I'm pretty confident in saying that. Yeah, but, I, I, but, yeah, I'm good. But having yeah. said that, having said that, are there potential scenarios under which one or two of the other quarterbacks could get into a game? Sure, there are scenarios that, that could occur. Yes. So yes. Schumer can't say unequivocally that Manning is the guy because if he does, the writers of the press room will pin his behind to a wall if he should ever be in a situation where circumstances prompt him to give one of the other guys a look, they will absolutely yeah. crucify him. Well, he can't what, do what, it. Well, um, you know, the, the leadership, uh, not sure Sherman, but Dave Gettleman, uh, we have been talking about Eli as the leader from as far back as the middle of February. I mean, it's Eli. I mean, he was going to be the starter. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what what's what's different? I, I mean, you committed to him as far back as mid-February. I mean, I mean, what would be wrong with saying this guy's our quarterback for the rest of the season? I understand there are scenarios, but man, Paul, you stressed it a little bit there. I don't think those scenarios are well, going to because show up. Land, I don't think so either, Land. But if they do, you you can't okay. deal with hypotheticals okay. because okay. they. Yeah. By the way, yeah. to be fair, they okay. owe it to themselves. They yeah. owe it to themselves. And they owe it to whoever you want to. I don't care if you say it's Loletta or Tanny, but let's just yeah. say for argument's sake, Loletta. They right. owe it to him and to this organization. Yeah. If yeah. Eli should suddenly fall on his face, they owe it to that kid to at least get him a look. And I've said I, this before unless Eli is hurt or unless there's a blowout situation in a game, yeah. Eli's taking every snap. Yeah. Look, I, I understand what you're saying, and I, I even partially agree with it. The reason, the reason why I was coming from the direction where I'm coming from here is I'm looking for a little stability over these last eight weeks. Let's build some togetherness out of this group. There's some football players on this team. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I well, mean, and that and let, could be accomplished, Len. Come that out can... and not have to introduce ourselves to a bunch of guys each week. Lance, you finished the show yesterday, and it was a good show. You, you were on your own yesterday, if I remember correctly. Uh, for the second half of the, the show. Yes, of the show. I appreciate that. Thank and you. And you were, you were talking to a caller about the turnover on the team. By my count, on the 53-man roster right now, today's 53-man roster, 37 of them are new to the Giants. When I say new to the Giants, I mean are new 2018. 37 out of 53. Yeah. And I, if I counted correctly, I got 77 different guys. As part of the 53-man roster. Yeah. Now, yeah. some of that's injuries, but there's not a lot of them. I mean, there's just uh, Jalapio, Lattimore. I think there was one other guy on injured reserve who had been well, part of ha- the regular ha- roster. Ha- Jalapio. But Jonathan Stewart is another guy that went on IR. Yeah. Jalapio and Perkins, by the way, okay, are the yeah. two holdovers from last year who are currently yeah. on injured reserve. That brings yeah. the number to 18 guys 
who were still on the team from last year. If you discount okay. the two IR guys, it goes yeah. down to 16, and then you also yeah. have to consider what you what you think about Moss yeah. because yeah. he's on yeah. practice squad. I mean, so, yeah. so there's been a lot of I, – I mean, no one could say we have <laughs> – you know, we haven't tried to improve the team. I mean, gee whiz. I mean, look at all the changes. I mean, really unbelievable. And, and you know, the first half of the season has been like a revolving door. I'm just looking for it to settle down a little bit. Let's see what these 53 guys can do. Let's build a little teamwork amongst them. And go out, you know, go out there and win some games. Now, this is 49er team. I don't think they can be overlooked. Lance, you referred to their front. You did too, Paul. Refer to their front seven. I mean, these guys get after it. They do, um, yeah. You well, know, if you look at the it statistics, like Len. guys every week. I mean, last week against uh, who they blow out, Oakland? Yeah, they beat yeah, Oakland. Yeah. Well, to, to your yeah. point, Len, yeah. here, yeah. as yeah. I well, jump in. I mean, in. that was a bunch of guys who hadn't had sacks in previous games. Well, DeForest Buckner, who was a first-round pick in 2016, leads the team with five-and-a-half sacks. Then their 2015 first-round pick, also from the same school, Oregon, Eric yeah. Armstead, he's got three sacks. So that's eight-and-a-half yeah. sacks right there between right. two of your starting defensive linemen. And Solomon Thomas is a first-round yeah. pick in 2017. He's no slouch, may not have the sack numbers. So they've invested first-round picks yeah. in each of the last three years yeah. in starting defensive yeah. linemen. And that's guys, what they've and done. You know, uh, you, you, uh, you haven't mentioned this name yet, but he's uh, – I mean, he's a heck, turn, turning out to be a heck of a football player, and I just shake my head every time I see a guy from Iowa. It's George almost Kittle. like every time you draft, oh, yeah. every draft year, you ought to draft at least one guy from Iowa. <laughs> Brandon <laughs> Sheriff. there's going to be somebody yeah. off that team that's, that's going to be point. a star. This guy, Kittle, who was probably, I don't know where he got picked. I think fifth maybe round. Third or fourth yeah. round. He was the fifth round, but actually. My God, he's got like 50 catches. Yeah, uh, I, mean, yeah, I know yeah, all I mean, about it. I mean, the guys that, you know, and yeah. he's, he's getting like 16 or 17 one of, yards One of catch. my touts, Len, you remember, I wanted them in the fourth round. But, yeah. you know, yeah, what are you going to well, do? We, we know where we went in the fourth round, but that's that's a whole different story. All right, listen, hey, thanks for taking my call. You guys have a great weekend, and let's go Giants. Huh? All right, Len. Let's win a game. You as well. Appreciate the phone okay, call. Man. Hey, we'll talk next week. You got it. Interesting that... Len brought up George Kittle because I was watching Kyle Shanahan's press conference because I just always like to listen and hear what the opposing team had to say, and Kittle was brought up, and then Shanahan went into an entire dissertation, Paul, about the history of how they found Kittle, and he said they had every intention to take Kittle in the third round. They figured that he wasn't a guy, if you go back to his college stats, that put up monster receiving numbers. He was more I known know as a that. blocker, I which know that. is why he appealed to you. I yes, get that. exactly why so, he appealed to me. So they figured, okay. All-around ability. They don't have to reach for him in the first or the second round, but they figure, okay, when the third round comes along, he's probably going to be there, and we've got to at least think about grabbing him. And then the third round, somebody else was still on the board. Okay, the fourth round, Kittle's still there. And then the fifth round comes, and he just falls right into their lap. So somebody asked him, like, if you look back, why did George Kittle fall? And Shanahan's feeling was most of the tight ends that go early, and I think there's validity, are the guys that put up the catches, get the touchdowns the like an Evan Ingram. tight ends. Yeah, 100%. And the blocking guys, they fall down in the draft, or sometimes they even are undrafted, and... That was a great find by the San Francisco 49ers. No, 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 no. They listen to this show and know that I <laughs> yeah, want Yeah, that's them. exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did. It happens all the time. Guys are all, These teams are always stealing the guys that I target. Kittle is in the top three in the NFL amongst tight ends in receiving, receiving yardage, and first downs. And I think amongst qualifiers, he's tied with O.J. Howard in yards per catch. 
amongst tight Big ends. explosive plays. Okay? He's absolutely on his way to what should be a Pro Bowl season. Unbelievable how teams just kept sitting back and sitting back and passing on him. Everybody wants a video game tight end. Yeah. Okay. I, I had this guy pegged from the very get-go. It kills me that he's kicking butt. He's another Brett Jones out there for those 49ers. You're too young to remember. No, Ted, I, you remember I, Ted Kowalik? Well, I'm not going to say I remember okay. that. I remember Brent Jones, though. Who you All right. Yeah, Russ Francis? How about that? Okay, now you're going a little oh, bit, Oh, my perhaps, goodness. He's in, in the Hall past. of Fame. Well, I, I'm not saying that I don't recognize the name, but I'm not going to okay. lie to the audience and tell them, oh, sure, yeah. All I studied right, plenty of right. film from him. I remember back but in I mean, the day. You know, this sat down with my VHS tapes. Just another yeah. terrific 49ers tight end, and they've had a bunch of them in the last 40 years. They have. They've produced a lot of guys. I'm looking, actually, at the <sighs> list here as I bring up the profile of Kittle, and I mean, the Niners had Vance McDonald, who's actually now making a name for himself with Pittsburgh because he, he emerged as a starter, and Garrett Selleck, who is still in the mix, he actually, I believe, if memory serves me correct, and I have to confirm this, I think Kittle was hurt in last year's matchup with the Giants, and I think it was Selleck mm-hmm. who had the field mm-hmm. day because tight ends obviously were lighting up the Giants, <laughs> Yes, and it was Selleck who broke away for a very big score. So that just goes to show you the depth. And it's no surprise, Shanahan loves to utilize his tight ends within his offense. You go back to what he did with his father, Mike, when they were together in Washington. They love to utilize the tight ends. So I don't think that should surprise anybody. But he looks for versatile players, and they have found quite a guy in terms of the development. That's why the Niners, similar to the Giants, but I think the Niners have more substance behind the argument. They're looking back, and they're seeing they got two wins, and and they're playing the coulda, woulda, shoulda game. Paul, because they're saying if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't go down with a season-ending mm-hmm. injury, if Jarek McKinnon doesn't tear his ACL before the season even starts. Mm-hmm. Remember, he was a big signing from the Vikings. Garoppolo, McKinnon, Kittle, Marquise Goodwin, who's been also banged up in and out of the lineup, is their vertical threat. Pierre Garçon's been in and out of the lineup. Kittle, I mean, there's a lot of weapons that the Niners have. That's why I said this is an easy team to look at them and say, oh, they've been a joke the last few years. There's talent on this team. When they're healthy and Shanahan can finally bring it all together, Niners going to make some noise in the well, NFL. Well, he- here's the deal. We're talking about two teams, the Giants and the 49ers, who at the moment are drowning in the quicksand of parity. Okay? They're up to their necks <laughs> in quicksand, these two teams. But the truth of the matter is... There's not a whole lot of difference between the teams that are a game or two over 500 and these two teams that are going to play on Monday night. There really isn't that much of a difference. Well, the biggest difference is execution and the consistency in execution. That's what separates teams like the Niners and the Giants, let's face it, Paul, from Kansas City, Pittsburgh that we saw last night. Well, no, 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 now you're going Kansas City. Kansas City is one of the upper-level teams. Well, they're, I, I thought that was even, the point that you were making. They're not even near the quicksand. Okay, I, I didn't know where – I thought you were saying – because I look at it as I don't think okay, the league you, is a whole – I'll tell you who else is in the quicksand. differential between everybody. You're talking I about the Niners and the Giants. They're up to their necks in quicksand, but there are teams like the Eagles. They're belt high. Okay. The Redskins are belt high. Okay. There are teams of that ilk that are – that are certainly swimming in the quicksand of priority as well. They're trying They're, to keep their right. head above water. The Kansas City Chiefs, no, 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 no. Their boots aren't even dirty. So you're not talking about the Rams, the Saints, no, these other teams. No, okay, you're no, talking no, about the no. teams right now, borderline playoffs. Those are your those are your upper echelon teams. Okay. Those, those teams don't have any quicksand on their boots. They're kind of walking around on the periphery. All right. They're on the trail. All right. Then there's a whole chunk of teams that have fallen off the trail in, into the out. quicksand. 
That's what we're talking about here. I got you. A lot of analogies that we throw out on the show. I hope those of you who tune in are being able to follow this. We didn't get a food analogy today, though, so that has been refreshing. But give us some time. we still got about nine, eight minutes remaining in the program here. So glad you could join us on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You can also give us a ring at 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You brought up Quadri Henderson earlier in the program. He was the one that was let go to allow R.J. McIntosh to be activated. And since... Henderson has been added back to the practice squad, which I think most of us anticipated when he was let go because of his value. And I'm with you, Paul. I thought he was a pleasant surprise, and I thought he was a refreshing spark in special teams for the limited opportunities that he had. He did very well at Pittsburgh. I mean, this was his playground. He was a great return guy. So I don't think it necessarily caught the Giants by surprise. That was the big reason why they brought him into the practice squad. This is one of the players that if he gets another opportunity, he's somebody to watch who I think has potential on the roster beyond this season. Jamon Brown is certainly a player to keep close tabs on depending on his opportunities. That's why while these eight games, everybody's focusing on wins and losses, I look at more as Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman getting the film out every single week and saying, you know what? He's worthy of a spot on the 90-man roster this coming offseason. And that's what I think is a big part of the philosophy of those two, as well as the rest of the coaching staff in the front office right now. Well, I think this will also be one of those Januaries where as soon as the season is over, you're going to see a lot of these guys signed to future reserve contracts yeah, too. that's a good point. You'll suddenly see the, the list of guys who are under Giants control expand immeasurably because Gettleman is going to try to get as many bodies in here as he possibly can who he thinks could help. And it's understandable. Well, based on what Dave Gettleman did alone in one offseason, and we were talking about the turnover rate. Len brought it up. I emphasized it a lot on yesterday's show. But this was something that, Paul, you and I had brought up. When they made the final 53-man roster, they then, after finalizing the 53-man roster, brought in six players mm-hmm. off of waiver claims. That was an indication <laughs> that clearly you were not overly confident on at least the back end of your roster and your depth. So that's why you were looking to upgrade it with guys who were let go from other teams and also taking a chance on them, knowing, by the way, Paul, that they were not with you for the entirety of spring, the entirety of training camp, and they're going to now need a few weeks to go throughout the course of the season. And then on top of that, Mike Jordan, who is one of the six claims, has since been let go. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you could take it an extra layer beyond the six players that were brought in. Well, I hate to give Len any credit, but he was one of those folks who right away said, this is not a good sign. If they are claiming six guys in the week prior to opening day, it's not boding well for the future of this club because you just don't replace six guys like that in a heartbeat and feel good about the 53 that you're going to put on the field in the first game of the season. And you know what? Len, you were right. And it goes even beyond that. Elijah Penny was a late addition. There's another guy. Nate Stuper, linebacker, special teamer. There's another guy. I mean, I could say that Tony Lippett was recently added. We're waiting him to perhaps make his Giants debut. Well, he's Len said he counted up 77, and I don't know if that's official or not, Len, because I haven't looked at it myself. But he, what did he say? 77. He did. He said 77, and he may be right. I haven't Giants looked it up myself this either. Year. Correct. That may be true. That may be true. Look, it's, it, the number wouldn't surprise me. 
It no, wouldn't. it wouldn't at all. But I'm assuming, though, that number that Len threw out, and I don't believe Len is very active on social media, so I don't know if we're going to get clarification until he calls up in a future show. But I I would say if you're going to make that number official, it's got to go by the start of the 53-man roster because there were plenty of roster moves, Paul, yeah. before that. You start from the 53, you go all the way to the end of the season, and that's an accurate number. But I know you and I brought up on previous shows and even on the Giants Radio Network pregame show – all you need to do is go back to the end of the 2016 season, the team that was 11-5, and lost to the Packers in the wild card round. There are less than 10 players, Paul, remaining on the current roster from the end of 2016. So, I mean, you could talk about turnover from 17 to 18. How about the turnover from, and we're not far removed from that 2016 team, which made the playoffs. And think about all of the players that are gone from that group. Okay, Less now, than 10 guys. Hold, hold on a second. We have an official player count from the National Football League. These are guys who were active in games this year. The Giants have had, according to the NFL, 60 players. 60 different players have been active. 60 different players have okay. been active and gotten into a game. Now, that doesn't speak to guys who were on the 53 who didn't get a jersey on and Sunday. And there's a number of them that you have to take into consideration. So they've had 60 actually play in a game so far this year. Well, so for example, based on what you just laid out, Kyle Oletta is not in that 60 because he has yet to be active. That is correct. Yet he's on the roster and he's also one of the new phases. Yes. So that's why you've got to provide context for any of you that are looking at these numbers online and so forth. Context is a big part of it. That would tie the Giants for sixth in the NFL. The number one team would be the Raiders at 63. Which doesn't surprise me either. Dolphins. Also at 63, the Falcons at 62, the Giants and Browns have had 60 active players. And, Paul, I'm not surprised with any of the teams you threw out there because you know what the common theme yeah, with all those teams is? none of them are looking at a division title anytime well, soon. that's one. And then the other common theme is a number of those teams also have been struck by the injury bug because mm-hmm. Miami is the exception of the team that actually has a winning record and still mathematically is alive. Yes. Miami, I would argue, injuries is a big reason why. I mean, you lose your starting quarterback in Ryan Tannehill right off the bat, and they've had some offensive line issues, wide receivers they've lost like crazy. Yeah, but they play in the AFC Patriots. (laughs) It's nice to know that you renamed the division in honor of that. might as well. You might as well. You're right. They certainly have been in control of that. That would be another good one. Call it what you will. Yeah. By the way, speaking of Belichick, and and this is related because clearly he was a Giants coach, did you see they mic'd him up for the Patriots-Packers game? I have not looked at it yet. Take a look at it. I think think you will enjoy it. You will enjoy it. At some point, definitely take a look at it. I had an opportunity to catch it the other day, and and it's not, oh, wow, it's Bill Belichick. It's just I always take enjoyment out of somebody who is so in tune to a game and is calm, cool, and collected. I know he's been around the block, so I'm not telling you anything new, but it's always interesting to see how he acts and behaves during the course of the game. And, Paul, they score touchdowns. Brady marches them down the field. You would think that they just turned the ball over. It's the same facial expression. He doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. It's even keel. And that's a big part of being a successful coach. I'm with you 100%, although my favorite Belichick NFL Films clip is at the Super Bowl in Indianapolis when he's telling his defense oh, to watch out yes. for Knicks and Cruz and don't worry I about Manningham. <laughs> I mean, that point. is the best Belichick clip of all time, bar none. Yeah. 
I smile every time I see that one. <laughs> I don't think he's smiling too much. Then again, I think he's got enough hardware he never too, smiles anyway. perhaps that he doesn't need anyway, to complain. Yes, yes. That is a good way to wrap up the program. We need to say goodbye. We do indeed. We appreciate everybody for tuning in. You can continue to tweet at us at hashtag Giants Chat. Any tweets that we didn't address on the air, we'll certainly try to answer you back. Big Blue Kickoff Live back up and running on Monday because the Giants don't play till Monday night. David Deal and I will be back in on Monday because the rest of this crew will be taking the long cross-country plane ride to San Francisco. in California. Well, if that's the silver <laughs> lining to look at, that's one way to look at it. I'm certainly not Get my tan back. <laughs> you don't need help with that the last time I checked. For Paul DeTito, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Friday and the weekend ahead. We'll speak to you on Monday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.